when you think about customer service and you think about sales and you think about marketing, a lot of the way that I think about it is how would I want to be treated? And now you can't treat everybody like the way you would want to be treated, but try to look at things from your client's perspective. If your client is short-tempered and doesn't have a lot of time, be brief, be bright, be gone. But make sure that what language you're communicating in is the language that your client wants to hear. It's all about giving the customer what they want. Welcome to Starve the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Our special guest today is the Elise Sims. Elise is the founder of Skylark Consulting Group, which offers sales and marketing management and consulting. She is a blogger, a learner, a speaker. She's been guilty of working for cookies. Elise, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. I mean, this is a huge honor for me because (laughs) I've known about you, and in fairness, you and I are friends now, but I knew about you before we were friends. Yes. And that's one of the reasons, it's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I want to have you on the show. And you and I talked about this months ago, and shame on me for not making this happen until now. But here we are. And so, Elise, thank you for being here. It's such an honor. I've really enjoyed watching this podcast grow, and you become more and more successful. So, honestly, honor's all mine. (laughs) Perception is reality, Elise. So thank you. <laughs> well, in my head, you're amazing. So, <laughs> and I, yeah, I want you to continue thinking that. So we'll stop the interview right now. now <laughs> for those that don't know you, because people are like scratching their heads, I'm like, I don't know Elise. Why don't I know Elise? And they should know you. But if they don't, <laughs> would you be willing, real quickly, you know, just give a little bit about yourself, and then we'll talk about concerts. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I'm so glad you're going to hit that because I love when you hit that with all of absolutely. your guests. I'm basically just an entrepreneur. I'm a business girl. I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I've been in sales and marketing ever since I graduated, even before then, working at jobs and retail and food service and school. And I'm just constantly striving, growing, learning, moving, shaking. So I'm involved in the entrepreneur movement a good deal down here in Atlanta. Started my own business fairly recently. So just got out of the corporate world and, uh, Looking forward to doing a lot of good stuff, writing books, writing blogs, getting information, meeting people. So I'm just a mover and a shaker. That's all. I'm a fan. <laughs> all right. So Elise, uh, yeah, you are not going to be exempt. What is the best concert that you've ever been to? Uh, I've got two. Is that okay? Let's do it. Leslie Feist. She's kind of an indie rocker. Not very well known, but I've been listening to her for ages, ages, ages. So actually getting to see her in person was just absolutely fabulous. But then maybe my favorite, favorite awesome concert was a Ben Folds Five and Bare Naked Ladies setup. <laughs> it, was, it was amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm sure that would be fun. Oh, and for the first artist that I'm not familiar with, uh, what's a good song or something that people could look up on YouTube oh, or Spotify? She's so actually can... made famous in the last couple years. She was on an Apple commercial for her song, One, Two, Three, Four. So that is probably her most popular and most widely known song. All right. Mm. I love it. And let the record show for the listeners here that when I'm looking for good music and I'm having one of those days, I will get on Google chat and I'll be like, Elise, give it to me. Give me the tunes. And lately I told (laughs) you that I was addicted to Taylor Swift's uh, new song. (laughs) Shake it off. I think we may have to put Shake It Off in the show notes just for that. It's true, though, Elise. I do. I come to you and I'll be like, hey, Elise, I need some good music. And you have delivered on numerous occasions. So thank you for that. Well, I totally blame that on my network, not on my own devices. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, that's an interesting point, though, because and we're going to talk about network because you are an awesome networker. Oh, that is absolutely it. one of your strengths. People can call you whatever they want, but they can't say you're not a good networker. You are a very good networker. <laughs> <laughs> I think it just has to do with my personality. Naturally, I love meeting and talking to people. And I seem to have, an, through no training of my own, just an ability to find various people interesting and pulling out the best in them and their desires and their dreams. I don't know. It, it just happens. But I really love talking and meeting to people. Okay. You are definitely good at that. And so <laughs> I want to tell the story. Please. And you know this story. I've shared it with you before. But for the listeners, I wasn't always podcasting. So before I was podcasting, I had various different corporate responsibilities, different jobs. And one of the jobs that I had was a competitor to a company that you worked with in the past. Yes. And you know, we don't necessarily have to get into all the details of that. <laughs> but what is interesting is I remember stepping into several scenarios where I was working with clients and I was being proactive and really trying to make sure that their experience with our company was very positive. And I remember starting to hear a name that would pop up over <laughs> and over again. And it was Elise Sims. And I just love Elise. And then, you know, and, and I was like, who's Elise? And then as I dug a little bit deeper, I found out, okay, you actually worked for the yeah. company that was winning a lot of deals that we weren't winning. And uh, I remember just taking a mental note. I was like, wow, who is this Elise? What is she doing? Obviously, it's working. <laughs> what was funny is it doesn't stop there because I knew your name. Mm. But then I'm going to these different places, you know, these different client sites yeah. doing work with them. And then I'm seeing stuff you just sent them in the mail, like thank you cards. <laughs> and like they've got them up on their wall. And I'm just cracking up. I'm like, this girl is smooth. I am a handwritten like, <laughs> note maven. I love the handwritten note. Here's the tip. Sales folk, before mm -hmm. you leave the parking lot, you finish a meeting, you're sitting in the parking lot, write that note. You have a stamp right there. Pop it in the mail right then, immediately. It'll take a day or two to get there, but they'll be so shocked that it gets there so quickly. It makes such a good impression. And yes. that's what I want people to understand about you. I don't want to talk the whole episode, but at least you had this gift of just making people like you. Your likability is through the roof. Mm -hmm. And I knew right then, I was like, I need to meet her. I was like, I need to see if this is legit or if this is all in my head. <laughs> And then I did have the opportunity to meet you. We met in Washington, D.C. Yeah, and sure enough, in my first encounter with you, I could tell right away, okay, she's absolutely cool. I can totally see why people enjoy talking oh, to her. So and I was so dubious see when we met. I was like, who's <laughs> this guy from our biggest competitor like coming over to see me? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we were at a trade show. And I, yeah, like being, you know, that guy that's walking around looking at the different booths and but not really looking. Parts, you give me your business card with your personal email on the back. <laughs> And I'm thinking, either this guy's trying to hit on me or he's trying to poach me. But it was fabulous. I really enjoyed talking to you. And then we had a great conversation afterwards, just chatting via email. So, I mean, we hit it off. And then we just would continually keep in touch as, you know, jobs change, life changes. We just yep. kept on touching base with each other. It was nice. Totally. So, yeah. To wrap up that story, <laughs> I knew who you were. I knew that you were a powerful connector mm. and you had some amazing skills at just making people like you, making them feel like you're someone they wanted to do business with. And that is so powerful. Yeah, no matter what you're doing in your career or your business, that is so critical. So that's how we met. 
Let's talk a little bit about that. You gave the amazing tip about the handwritten card. What are some other tips? Because there's people who are listening and say, hey, I want to develop strong connections with customers and clients. Mm. You have that skill, Elise. What do you say to those people? There's so a method to the madness. And I think the number one tip that I'll give is actually write out that process and think about while you're writing out that process, what is my perfect client? What is my perfect customer? Because there is a customer life cycle, whether you're in the lead stage or they're already doing business with you or in a referral stage. Every company's different. Every product has a different sales cycle and customer life cycle. But absolutely figure out what would my perfect customer be? How often would I communicate with them? How would they use my resources? And write it out. I mean, absolutely supply chain style, one, two, three, four, five with arrows. Maybe there's a couple of different selections for each level and absolutely write that out. And part of that has got to be the communication that you initiate with the customer. Of course, the customer is going to come to you. Usually when the customer comes to you, there's a problem, there's a question, there's an issue. So you want to make sure that you're coming to the client just as frequently or even more frequently with happy communication and absolutely less than 50% of the time should you be coming to the customer with actual sales communication or education on additional products, trying to upsell the customer, things like that. Because today we're in a relationship economy, which sounds a little counterintuitive because we're having less FaceTime now with our clients than we are than ever before. Our clients are using social media more than they're actually communicating with somebody face to face. So a little bit counterintuitive, but you really have to build that relationship and that is staying in front of the client. So I usually, when I'm looking at that perfect customer communication, I'm thinking how frequently if I was in their shoes, would I want to hear from me once a week, once a month? Would I want to see you know, two blog posts a month? Would I want to have a phone call a month? Would I prefer a text message? All of this depends on your industry the age group that you service, and even the personality of the client. Some clients don't want to hear from me. That's great. Gives me less to do. Some clients are very needy. They want to hear from me all the time. So it's all about evaluating your industry, evaluating the client, and mapping out the process, depending on that. So then that's all well said, Elise, and absolutely <laughs> true. And you really are. I mean, I'm blowing it up, but you are so good at that. And I saw it firsthand, mm-hmm. and it compelled me to come and meet you. So that's a testimony of these things that work. If you were willing to listen to what Elise says, <laughs> and you're willing to implement this, this can have a powerful Honestly, impact. Honestly, that easy. Everybody's different, but yeah. write out a plan, because there's a method to the madness. And once you can pen it down, you can make notes what works, what doesn't work. You can change it. You can monitor it. And only by doing that do you know what is going on. Otherwise, you're flying by the seat of your pants. You have no idea what's giving you success and what's not. Just can't track well, it. It is very clear you were having great success in that particular role. Mm-hmm. And it surprised me later on as I did get to know you a little better. And we started talking and we started just being honest about some of the challenges we faced. You were very open about talking about some things that I didn't have any clue that you were dealing with (laughs) during that season of your life and even beyond that. So I think this is important because there are a lot of women that listen to Start of the Dallas and you've had some challenges in the corporate world. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share some of the challenges you felt, even in the successes that you had, you still had to deal with some different circumstances. Let's talk about that. Sure. I think that there is a surprising amount of various forms of sexual harassment that go on in the workplace that it can be difficult to navigate, especially Especially, you know, when I was in school, 
I took uh, a business ethics class. And of course, in the business ethics class, you're basically taught, you know, this goes on to varying degree. And every time you started a company, they give you the 1-800 number to call. And that just doesn't happen. A lot of times you have to play with the boys. You have to grin and bear it. You know, a VP puts his hand on your waist and you don't say anything and you let them do it. And that's acceptable. I think you just have to determine what is your personal style? What is too far? What kind of impression and person you want to be? But I think the honest reality is there's going to be varying forms of play and flirtation, especially if you're a woman in power in the workplace, because frankly, people find that attractive. And I think the best way to deal with it is to own it, is to know these are my power heels and I'm going to put them on and all eyes are going to be on me and I'm going to dominate this room. I'm going to dominate this presentation and I'm going to be a force to be reckoned with. So sometimes you could look at it as being victimized and absolutely being unfair. And I see that. But I also think that women need to embrace it in a way. Of course, there's absolutely inappropriate harassment. And one of the reasons I left one of my corporate jobs was because of absolutely inappropriate harassment that I wasn't going to put up with. So I think you need to draw the line. And I also think you need to be aware of just what it's like to play the game because women have a very different game to play than men. And in addition, we're definitely not taken as seriously as guys. I think part of it's because, you know, men wonder, well, how long are you going to be in the corporate world? When are you going to get married? When are you going to have a baby? When are you going to step out? Are you really in it? So I think that there's a lot of difficulty when it comes to actually communicating with managers, which it's very common for managers to be male. 20% of C-level and leadership positions are held by women. So eight out of 10 bosses, statistically for anybody, is going to be a man. So it's very difficult to you know, be taken seriously and be seen as somebody who wants to climb the corporate ladder. So I don't really have a lot of advice for that other than to just own it and be serious and have serious conversations. And we all know with women, it's uncomfortable for us to ask for what we deserve, whether it's money, positions, because we are just in general, a population that's been socially taught to acquiesce. I was very surprised to hear that. And I've not just heard you say that. I've heard other mm. ladies that I just really respect and look up to in the workplace that have kind of under the table have mentioned that. They like passively said things. And then it kind of added up when you and I talked that one day. I was like, wow, this is, this really is a bigger problem than I thought it was. Yeah, it's very <laughs> common. I hate it. I hate that it's a problem. And I honestly, I don't know if it's the age group or just social mm -hmm. acceptability, but I mean, frankly, depending on how bad the situation is, if you make it known and you make it aware and you kind of fight it, you're often seen as not being a team player. Oh, this was just a joke. You can't take a joke. It's mm. very difficult to navigate. And there's, there's really not any advice that I can give other than experience it and determine whether you're the person who can brush it off and be one of the guys and take it and just play with it and rise above it. Or whether you're the kind of person that's, you know what, this is completely unacceptable. I need to find an organization that better matches my personal values. I would say that whatever your decision is, the decision needs to reflect what you're willing to take. Because, you know, no, we're adults. Nobody should do something to me that I don't appreciate. Nobody should put me in a situation that I feel awkward or ashamed or 
No manager should yell at me and make me want to cry. And yet that happens. So you need to have your own barriers and just know yourself and say, is this something that I can put up with? Is this something that I want to play with? Is this a position that I want? Is this what I need to do to move up in the industry? If it is, and that's what you're willing to do, go for it. I definitely wouldn't recommend that that's something that you have to put up with. Yeah, I've had conversations with people and I know on some level you'll be able to relate to this where I've had one lady was talking about she was going out with the guys and these were colleagues and everybody's going to the strip club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was I've like, OK, the, apparently that's times. yeah, that's the way it works. I've we we just all go clients. to the strip club. You know, and it's very hard as a woman, too, especially if it's your customer that makes an advance right. because you're put in the difficult position of. How do I navigate this and continue to have a business relationship with this person and continue to, you know, transact with this individual and yet dissuade these advances, you know, especially when sometimes depending on the industry, you are in that strip club or you are in that bar after midnight. It's touch and go. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you had to deal with some challenging situations. I'm not glad that you had to deal with that, but I am glad that you were able to make the decision to start Skylark Consulting Group. So I want to talk about that. So there was a transition. You said, hey, I'm going to go for it. Mm. So that is what Starving the Doubts is all about. So Skylark Consulting Group, how did that get dreamed up? Where are we now? Sure. Well, it was something that I did on the side for about a year, year and a half before I decided to break free. And, you know, that was something that I came to you with constantly, whether, you know, talking to you or listening to your podcast, but looking for that encouragement and that final push to just make it happen. It's so difficult to jump off that cliff and actually do it because it's terrifying and it's scary and it's unpredictable. And I just got into a situation where financially it was something that I could do. You know, I wasn't crazy about the job that I had and it was putting me in, again, those awkward harassment situations. And It was so funny. It was just like week after week, person after person counseled me. And why aren't you doing this? Do this full time. Get out there. Get it. Do it. Go. And uh, I'm a huge fan of Michael Jackson. And I think the final moment I was hanging out at a local incubator in Atlanta called Atlanta Tech Village. And I was there with a couple of friends and Michael Jackson's man in the mirror is playing. And so it's like, be the change you want to see in the world and look at yourself (laughs) and talking to my friend. And he looks at me and he's like, why are you being such a weenie? Do it. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. So it really took months and months and months of my biggest cheerleaders, my biggest fans, my mentors, my friends, my family to say, it's okay. Try it. Just try it. What happens if you fail? Meh, you go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and truthfully, there's no guarantee in a corporate setting anymore right. that you're going to have your job or that you're not going to exactly. fail. So if you're going to fail, well, wouldn't it make more sense to fail at something you love? Exactly. I mean, what is the illusion of security for working for somebody else? Because, I mean, at least mm-hmm. in Georgia, we're a right to work state. You, your job is not guaranteed. Your company you know, success is not guaranteed. Nothing's guaranteed. It's the same thing, but it's the illusion of security. Oh, I'm working for somebody else and they make the decisions and I can blame it on them if it doesn't work out instead of, oh my God, I'm the decision maker. The blame is on me if it doesn't work out. So that's a really scary hurdle to go over. But I think the fact of the matter is, is it's an illusion working for corporate America. You don't have any more safety there. And I will tell you, Jared, I am so much happier making my own decisions, setting my own schedule, having my own flexibility, no regrets whatsoever. And I was talking to my better half the other day about, you know, well, 
what if, you know, I go back? What if this doesn't work? And he said, baby, you've not failed. Worst case scenario, this is something that you can bring in money on the side. Or, you know, if you want to quit again, you can do it. It's not a failure. If you learn from it, if you enjoy doing it, if you did anything, even if you didn't make any money, if you made a difference, if you made a difference in you, if you made a difference for somebody else, you won. So go ahead and raise that flag. You won. Wow. Okay, so you went all in and you started Skylark and you are doing it full time. Is it everything you dreamed it would be? What are some challenges that you're overcoming now? There's always financial challenges. Sure. I'm about month three, month four, and I am not quite making what I did when I was at my corporate gigs. But that was totally something that I knew was going to happen. That's statistically average. If you don't turn a profit in the first year, it's cool. If you don't turn a profit in the second year, it's cool. Usually by year three, you do. But I'm very lucky that I'm already doing very well. Not as well as I'd like to. The other scary thing is just making sure that you are dedicating time to prospecting. It's so easy to just get into the mode of work, 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 work. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I had this goal of getting two new clients this month and I didn't make that goal because I was just concentrating on working. And so it's really about self-scheduling has been a difficult hurdle. But I think once you get very structured, again, it's all about process. I'm a Virgo. I love processes. So it's all about mapping out your day, mapping out your goals, and then meeting the goals. And then if for whatever reason you didn't meet the goals, you got the process, you can figure out why. Or if you met the goals and it didn't have the result, again, you've got the process, you can figure out why. So I think the hardest part is when somebody's not there telling you what to do, and you have to tell yourself what to do. It's so much more important to keep track of what you're doing and why you're doing it. And to constantly ask yourself, is this getting me new leads? Is this giving value to my client? It's very self-questioning, very introspective into your work and into your person, which I think is very hard. You know, looking into yourself that much, it's very difficult to be that self-introspective. You know, a lot of us, we don't, we don't really want to get to know us and what makes us tick and what are our fears and what are our problems. So it's really confronting that day in and day out. I have a couple girlfriends who started a business and they're actually looking to give up on it because... It's not that the business is not successful and it's not scalable. It's that this constant self-inspection is heavy. It's hard. A lot of doubt there, for sure. All right. So, Elise, it's possible there's somebody listening right now and saying, hey, I've got this idea. I'm interested in maybe making that something more than just an idea. And they want to connect with you Mm. because you have the insight that you know what you're talking about. What's a good place where they could go and they could reach out to you? Oh, they can um, email me at my personal email address, which is Elise, E-L-Y-S-E dot Sims, S-I-M-S at gmail.com. They can go to my website, which is www.skylarkconsultinggroup.com. Facebook, I'm on there. LinkedIn, I'm on there. Twitter, I'm on there. Google Plus, I'm on there. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, why not? Are you on Instagram? You know what? I'm not on Instagram. Not so yet. Hold your breath. Because you don't want to see 5,000 pictures of my cats. <laughs> or your power heels. <laughs> I actually would like to see your power heels. Uh, my favorite ones are lime green. And my second favorite ones are hot chili pepper red. Those are my power heels. And sometimes you just need a power heel. 
As you should. <laughs> okay, so at least we've talked about the possibility of someday writing a book because you do blog. Yeah. So if that's true, what's going on with that, and what could people expect? Uh, well, I've kind of got two veins that I'm working on. Hopefully, I can combine them. If not, I might just be super dominatrix, crazy lady, and do two of them. But one vein, I work a lot with women, women in business, statistics, navigating the business environment. And I'm really enamored with this. I really wouldn't call myself a feminist, maybe a modern feminist. But frankly, the idea of the sexes in the workplace is just a fabulous dichotomy because the way that business is being conducted in this modern day, it's based on relationships. It's based on communication. It's based on customer service, care, all these values and characteristics that are kind of intrinsic to the female sex. So we just naturally, being caregivers and mothers, we just are naturally very skilled at that type of business. So I think what you'll see is that women are becoming more centric and more necessary, these characteristics, in the workplace. And businesses that aren't adopting women as a mindset and as a power force are falling behind. Businesses where you think about boardrooms and suits and dominant, you know, men with, you know, shovels and logs. This is so stereotypical. (laughs) But, (laughs) But there really are a lot of businesses that are taking the communication and the customer service route. And then there are businesses that are not. So I think women are going to be a huge force there. There's also, like I mentioned before, only 20% of leadership positions are held by women. So as you know, women grow and become more experienced and just more present in the workplace because it's becoming more and more acceptable for us to step out, have children, and then step back in. As that's becoming more and more common, I really think that the workplace character and the workplace dynamic is going to shift and adjust and to change. That's just something that really interests me about the dynamic. So that's one vein. And then the other vein has to do with sales, marketing, customer service, social media, all those things that I work with on a day-to-day basis and all the things that I'm very passionate about because something, unfortunately, it's just innate for me. And I've spent a lot of my career trying to figure out why am I a natural at this? Why am I good at this? There's got to be a method to the madness. And there is. And so I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what works, what do I do? Can I write it down, pass it to somebody else and have them pick it up and go? And yeah, for the most part, yeah. So the other vein that I work with is just sales, marketing, tips, tricks, strategies, things that people can pick up and take with them, especially if sales isn't what they did for a living or what they do, because it's a process. For sure, it's a process. Okay, so at least who is doing something that interests you? Oh my gosh, who's doing something that interests me? Just about everybody. Recently, I saw a mail lift, I think is what it's called, M-A-I-L-L-I-F-T. And what they do is have a team of people who write notes. And this is a service that's generally for very large companies that say they want to write Christmas letters, personalized handwritten Christmas letters to all of their customers, which again, like we said, the handwritten letter means so much, but they have thousands of customers and they can't make it happen. So this company actually employs, I read an article about them and usually a lot of teachers because teachers have fabulous penmanship. They concentrate on penmanship and they get a lot of joy about penning personal letters perfectly. It's a lot of peas. But like (laughs) teachers, they have them handwrite these letters. Company will order them, send them the message. People will handwrite them and then they will actually mail them out. 
And that way it enables their clients to receive this very personal touch. And yet it doesn't take up a whole lot of time or financial resources out of the company. So I love that idea because number one, handwritten letters always worked for me. And number two, I think it shows a trend that we're actually going back to older customer service models. So becoming more in tune with the client, maybe having more FaceTime, having that phone call, having that handwritten letter, and just becoming more personal and more connected and building the relationship with, you know, out of date methods, which, you know, everything comes back in style, but I feel like love and customer service is back in style. I love that. (laughs) No, I think the handwritten letter is never going to go away. Everybody appreciates that. The best part about the handwritten letter is everybody's so surprised about it. Oh my God, you took two minutes out of your day to write a letter? You shouldn't have. (laughs) Yeah, why? (laughs) Why? (laughs) But it really goes a long way and it really impresses. So I would encourage everybody to just brush up on their penmanship. And even if your penmanship is terrible, just write from the heart. Say Mm. thank you. Nobody thinks about this, especially when you have customer service departments that are less than enthusiastic about working with problematic customers. But that customer bought the jeans you're wearing. They bought the shoes you're wearing. They paid your house payment. They paid your car payment. They put food on your table. A lot of times people don't realize that the customer pays your bill. You should be on your knees. Say thank you. Be appreciative. Even if it's a troublesome client, They make you who you are. They allow you to do the fun things on the weekend, the things that you work for. And they gave you that nice laptop. They bought you the Starbucks coffee you got this morning. So you remember who your client is. Say thank you. Wow, that's such good advice. Okay, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners, Elise? Ooh, final thoughts for the listeners. I would just say when you think about customer service and you think about sales and you think about marketing, a lot of the way that I think about it is how would I want to be treated? And now you can't treat everybody like the way you would want to be treated, but try to look at things from your client's perspective. If your client is short-tempered and doesn't have a lot of time, be brief, be bright, be gone. But make sure that what language you're communicating in is the language that your client wants to hear. It's all about giving the customer what they want. And that not only extends to product, it extends to service, it extends to communication. So constantly think about how can I model what I'm trying to do in a channel that they are going to just eat up? That's really the crux of marketing and sales. I love it. Elise, best wishes to you and your business. And I'm looking forward to hearing about this book. (laughs) Ah, I will keep you posted. I keep on compiling things and maybe you can write me an introduction. (laughs) Maybe I can write you a handwritten card. (laughs) (laughs) I would love that. I would put it up on my wall for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Well, even if you don't, I appreciate you saying that. (laughs) Elise, thank you so much. Uh, As always, Jared, thanks. And you're doing a fabulous job. Love the podcast. Just own it and be serious and have serious conversations. And we all know with women, it's uncomfortable for us to ask for what we deserve, whether it's money, positions, because we are just in general a population that's been socially taught to acquiesce.